This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is part three of Bout Samson, who was set apart with a flawed heart, yet he made his mark. And so we see, first of all, that Samson was a judge or deliverer of Israel from the Philistines for 20 of the 40 years that they oppressed Israel. Samson was set apart before birth. We saw that in chapter 13. He was flawed. He had a flawed heart for self, also from 13 to 16. And then today, he made his mark through the power of God. The book of Judges is a cycle. And the cycle is one where the people of Israel, the children of Israel, would continue to rebel against God and chase after idols and reject their God. And God would allow them to do that, and an oppressor would be raised up who would repress them as a people. And in this case, it was the Philistines. Then there would be remorse, crying out to God for deliverance, and God would raise up a redeemer or a judge or deliverer, in this case, Samson. And then they would return to God. And this cycle continued on and on through the book of Judges. I want us to focus for a moment on Judges 13.4. Judges 13.4, where it says something very curious in parentheses. It says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. This is referring to the fact that even though Samson had a promising start and was named Sonny, that's what Samson means, S-U-N-N-Y, even though he was named Sonny and he had a bright start, his first public announcement was, get me that woman. He saw a foreign woman, a Philistine, one of the enemies, the oppressors, and he wanted to get her lust at first sight. And yet, the parents appealed to him. Isn't there a good Jewish girl you can marry? And no, I want her. And I want her now. And so, the parenthetical statement here is, the parents did not know that this was from the Lord. Now, this is curious because how could God use somebody who uh, is driven by Lust and passion is driven by uh, anger and revenge and uh, uh, violence. How can God use someone like that? Well, notice a couple of things. First of all, God's goal is to save his people. And he can use the last person we would expect to display his power. If Samson can use the jawbone of an ass, then God can use... Um, Samson, to say it nicely. 
God worked through Samson's sin in order to accomplish his people's victory. God will use whomever he chooses for a greater purpose, regardless of how they morally behave. Now, this doesn't mean that you can live any way you want. It does mean that when you don't allow God to rule over you, then God may have to overrule you. And I love how Warren Wiersbe puts it, God will accomplish his purposes either with us or in spite of us. God uses the flawed, the weak, the unimpressive, and the ordinary, his wonders, to perform. And we read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, that says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, we're not much, but we make much of him who is. To God be the glory, always. Now, a quick word about prodigals. Samson had godly parents. They prayed, they obeyed the Lord, they knew the scriptures, but Samson disregarded his Nazarite vows and he gave himself over to drinking and anger and revenge and lust and lying and sex and violence. You, you kind of wonder, with such a great start and with such great potential, why did Samson uh, live such a carnal and uh, horrific life? He was empowered by the Spirit to do the task with supernatural strength. He had a godly upbringing. And the point here is that, parents, you may have given heart and soul in raising your kids in the Lord, but they have a free choice. They can decide to continue to follow the Lord or reject the Lord. That's not in your control. You cannot control what the person says, thinks, or does. All you can do is create the atmosphere. And that's what God does. He respects our free will. He doesn't twist our arm and force us to do things. He gives us an atmosphere with clues so we could yield and choose to do his will, or we can resist and rebel against him. And that's what Samson chose to do, to resist and rebel against the Lord and the Lord's um, will, which was featured in his Nazarite vows. Now let's uh, look at the story in chapter 16. Judges 16, 4-5, notice that Samson repeated a sinful pattern. It says, Sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's each one of them. There's five of them. 
would give 28 pounds of silver to Delilah if she can weed out of him, lure out of him the secret of his strength so that they could subdue him. Delilah means delicate or she who weakened. Delilah was Samson's mistress who had his hair cut off and thus removing his strength in an act of betrayal for money. And in psychology, there's a thing called the Delilah syndrome. The Delilah syndrome is promiscuity in a woman motivated by a desire to render men weak and helpless. Named after this Delilah in the Bible. So Samson had in the past uh, chosen a woman who betrayed him and now he chooses another woman who will betray his trust and his secrets. But when she's trying to get the secret out of Samson, he lies three times. He's, uh, she says, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson answered, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. That's lie number one. They try it. It doesn't work. He just snaps them like they're you know, pieces of thread. And then there's lie number two. You have made a fool of me, Delilah says. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. And he says, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Not so. They try that, and he snaps them like they're nothing. And lie number three, the seven hair braids. Delilah says, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And he replied, if you weave seven braids of my hair into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. Not so yet again. Every time he hears the Philistines are upon us, he wakes up out of a sound sleep and he snaps to attention to fight with amazing power. He's ready. But she doesn't give up. She nags and needles him. And this is the part where you chuckled uh, when Russ read the scriptures for us. Because it says in Judges 16, verses 15 and 16, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now this brings a smile to our faces because some of us know and have been the recipient of nagging. But let me say on the positive side that the reason that some people may nag is because other people fail to listen. So there's a listening problem as well as a communication problem. I would take this up to the highest level as not nagging as much as emotional manipulation. So nagging is when Ruth, with a friendly reminder, tells me that the report 
the minutes for the elder board meeting that's coming up are due. And she does that repeatedly. And I see it as a friendly reminder. She doesn't manipulate me. She doesn't cry. She doesn't threaten me. She doesn't say I'm, you know, uh, withholding from her. She just says, hey, just by the way. And that's okay. Friendly reminders. But what we have here is emotional manipulation. And is this the first, is this the first time this has happened with Samson? No. Back in chapter 14, 16 and 17, then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me, you've given my people a riddle and you haven't told me the answer. And Samson says, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. And so the Bible does say, like a drip from a roof that's constantly dripping is a nagging or contentious wife. But let's, let's realize that this is a special category of nagging and needling that's emotional manipulation. Moses may have been a he-man with a she-weakness. So he may have been strong physically, but he was weak with when it came to women. He chased after them, and he was manipulated by them, and he yielded to them. So finally, he tells the truth. He told her everything. Judges 16, verse 17. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The secret of his strength was not his hair, it was the Lord. The hair was symbolic of the Lord's presence. And then the Philistines seized him, gouged his eyes out, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Someone that says, a continuous lifestyle of disobedience to the Lord will lead to blinding, binding, and grinding. It's right here in the text. He was blinded, and they bound him, and he was grinding grain in the prison like an ox. So I want to make an observation here. Samson's weakness of continuous disobedience led to him being weakened and eventually wrecked. And this is the downward spiral for any person who chooses to resist and rebel against God and to ignore the warnings of the Holy Spirit. You see, the sins we cherish diminish us. 
self-destructive tendencies destroy. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing that to those who prefer his will over God's will. And the only answer to this is that we are to renounce Satan's lies and announce God's truth instead. We're to rely upon God's strength, the strength of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have to tell you, as a pastor who has served the Lord for well over 45 years, that I've done funerals, and I did a funeral for a man who mysteriously died. It may have been a suicide. And he was in his 30s. And his sister got up and she said he was robbed. And that's when it hit me. You start out in life with such potential. You start out with so many opportunities. But if you listen to the devil, he'll rob you of your birthright. He'll steal away your potential. He will keep you from realizing all that God has in store for you. Beware, we're in spiritual warfare. Watch out, the devil wants to rob, and if possible, kill and destroy you. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're indestructible in him. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, in this lifetime, you have fallen for a cheap counterfeit offered by the world, the flesh, and the devil rather than focus on fulfilling your purpose. There are many distractions in life, and Satan and the world and the flesh would love to give you some so you keep from your, fulfilling your divine purpose. Notice this. Um, the Nazarite vow erosion, as I call it. He was supposed to not have anything from the vine, no wine. Yet we saw that he was in a vineyard and at, one, at a drinking feast at his wedding. The Hebrew word literally means a drinking feast. He was not supposed to touch any dead bodies. And yet he ate honey from the carcass of a lion and he took clothes from 30 men he killed. And he used the jawbone of a donkey. So he violated each of these Nazarite vows, and the digression goes now to the last one, the hair. A Nazarite is not to cut his hair, but he told Delilah his secret of strength. You see how he went downhill? And I love how Chuck Swindoll put it. He says, Christians don't wake up and say, yay, I'm going to crash and burn today. When Christians fail and fall, it's not a sudden blowout. It's a slow leak. It's like erosion. You've seen the effects of erosion where the side of a cliff just falls off. And if there's a house on the edge of that cliff, it too can crumble. Every day, through every decision we make, either we're building our house upon Jesus Christ and his teaching, which is the rock, or we're building our house 
house every day on the sand of the lies of the devil. And when the storm comes to test us, because of the erosion that has taken place, we will experience disappointment and failure and humiliation. This is what happened to Samson. So his spiritual condition was made physically manifest. Because he was spiritually weak, he eventually became physically weak. Because he was spiritually blind, eventually his eyes were gouged out and he became physically blind. Because he was a spiritual slave to sin, eventually he became a slave to the Philistines and he had to push this thing around to grind the wheat, the grain. And so, we may think we're getting away with things, but they will eventually be made manifest. But now I want to turn the corner, and I want to speak positively even in this negative situation. The positive thing I want to say is God's grace. God loves you. God forgives you. God is working on your behalf to sanctify you and make you holy and more Christ-like. In spite of your disobedience, in spite of your poor choices, there's still hope. So it has this wonderful statement of grace. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Here he is pushing and grinding the grain, but his hair was starting to grow back. Where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. God was working to give him not a second chance, but a 100th or maybe a 200th chance to make it right. And God gives us his amazing grace. says, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not giving up on you. My grace is available to you. It's not over. Turn to me. Now here's something interesting. He's taken to the temple of Dagon. Dagon was the, the god of the Philistines. Dagon had the head of a man, but the body of a fish. And he was believed to be the father of the god, god Baal. So if you thought Baal was bad, this was his dad. This is Baal's dad, Dagon. And he was associated with agriculture and the life-giving powers of water. So he's kind of like a Zeus and a Neptune combined. And he was the national god of the Philistines. Notice what's happening here. Because of Samson, the rulers assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Oh God, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. What's happening? Samson is hearing how because of his shameful behavior, the enemy, the devil, is getting the glory. And we don't want to give the Lord a black eye. We don't want to sully his name. But when you hear that happening, you can't help but be convicted, I'm going in the wrong direction. I repent. Something was happening in Samuel's heart. 
And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. And when they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. So how humiliating. Let's bring out the, uh, the trained monkey and have him do a dance for us. That is so bad. That is so embarrassing. But look what Samson did. He made his bed and now he's laying in it. He lost his independence. He lost his dignity. He lost his eyesight. But he's now thinking, Lord, I want to serve you. I don't want my life to be a total mess, a total waste. So the way temples were built, you would have two pillars in the center that would be the major support of the roof. All of the weight would be on the two center pillars. He had his hands on those two pillars. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who were watching Samson perform like a puppet, like a monkey with a symbol. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, that's not a perfect prayer. What's his motive? Revenge. Revenge for what? That they gouged out my eyes. It's not for the people of Israel. It's not for the glory of your name. It's because, hey, they poked my eyes. I want to get back at them and poke them. Not the best of motives, but listen carefully to this prayer. Because there's two times, only two times, that Samson prayed. Once when he thought he was going to die of thirst, in Judges 15, 18, and the Lord provided water for him. And here in the last moments of his life, when he had lost everything, and he says, God, give me strength one more time. The beauty of it is, he's recognizing the Lord. That the Lord is the source and supplier of strength. He's recognizing he was created for a purpose. He's coming back home. A prodigal may not come home in a perfect way, in a clean way, in a, in a way that announces everything eloquently. But they came home. And we pray that prodigals will come home, that they'll come to their senses, that they'll return to the Father who has his extended arms and says, Welcome home! Welcome back. I've been waiting for you. He finally came back. And with his last act, he pushed those pillars. And the roof came down with all the people on top and all the people underneath. And it says about making his mark, more Philistines were killed at his death than all the people he killed, all the Philistines he killed during his life. So he did a major job of delivering his people with his last act. Did he commit suicide? No. This was an act of war, and he was a fatality, sacrificing his life in the line of duty. And there's a difference between that. Suicide is a selfish act. Suicide is contagious, giving other people 
the message, why don't you cop out too? Suicide is not an unforgivable sin because Jesus paid for all of our sins. But we are never to play God. God is the one who gives and takes away life. So we find here that he made a mark. Like I said, he killed many more when he died than he lived. And his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him among the rubble. And they brought him back and they buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. That was his epitaph. He led Israel for 20 years. And he's written up in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith in the Bible, verse 32, where it says, I could tell you more about all these different people, including Samson, and it says, whose weakness was turned into strength. So even though he was all these things that were antithetical to being a spiritual hero, praise God that he used him anyway, and praise God for his amazing grace that he goes down in history, having made his mark as a judge of Israel. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.